Well, please open in your Bible, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This morning, I want to talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> there is no one more wonderful than Jesus. There is no one more incredible than Jesus. There's no one more amazing than Jesus. And I hope by the end of our study today that you will love Jesus Christ more than you have ever loved him before. The title of uh, the message today is An Astounding Prophecy About Jesus. An Astounding Prophecy About Jesus. And the text we're going to be looking at is in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And as we come to study um, God's word together, let's bow in prayer. And as we come to pray, if you'll do me a favor, just hold your open Bible out in front of you as we pray. That would be so great. Let's pray, can we? God, we thank you so much for this book that we hold in our hands. There are not enough words in all the languages of the world to thank you enough for this book. It is the greatest book in the world. It is the greatest book in all of human history for this book. And only this book is the word of the living God, the very breath of God. And we thank you that the very center, the theme, the heart of the Bible is Jesus. And Lord, we pray as we look at this important passage of Scripture in Isaiah 9 together today that you would make the book live and that you would open our eyes to see Jesus in a way that we've never, ever seen Him before. For that we bless you, we praise you, and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth and was born in the small village of Bethlehem, wise men, magi, king makers, they came from the east to worship him. They were the most intelligent people on the planet at that time. And when they came to Bethlehem, they came with a question, a most important question. Where is he born a king of the Jews? That was an interesting question because the Jews had a king, his name was here, but that's not what they were asking. They were asking a question that multitudes had been asking for centuries. They were asking the question, where is he born the king of the Jews? You see, the story of the Old Testament in many ways is the story of the failure of earthly kings, of earthly rulers. 
you remember the story of the Old Testament that during the book of Judges, people were doing what was right in their own eyes and they asked for a king. And so God gave them what they want. He gave them the king of their choice, Saul, who disqualified himself. And then David came, the man after God's own heart. But then Solomon came. And as I like to say of Solomon, the king with a divided heart left behind a divided kingdom. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 19 kings in the north, 20 kings in the south. And the story of those kings was failure after failure after failure. In the north, 19 kings in a row that failed. In the southern kingdom, though, there were some good kings. Really, ultimately, it was a story of the failure of those kings. And over the centuries, God's people began to have a longing in their heart for a king that was not like earthly kings, for a ruler that was not like earthly rulers. They, belong, they began to long for the king. They called him the Messiah. And the Messiah, the anointed one of God, would be the king above all other kings. And the prophets prophesied about this king and what it would be like when this king would come and who this king would be. And before us in the word of God today is one of the key prophecies about this Messiah, about this King. When it comes to prophecies about the birth of Jesus, about the advent of Jesus, about the coming of Jesus, this prophecy is the key prophecy. It is an astounding prophecy about Jesus. Look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 9. And follow as I read verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the gloom, the darkness will not be upon her who is distressed. As when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. And afterward they were more heavily oppressed. The ones by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden. And the staff off his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase 
of His government and His peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever the zeal of the Lord will perform this. An astounding prophecy about Jesus. This prophecy was given 700 years Before Christ was born. And there are three things that are of importance in this prophecy. Three things I want to talk to you about in this astounding prophecy about Jesus. And if you happen to have a piece of paper and a pen. You would do well to write these three things down. So you can remember the things that you have studied. So that you can share the things you have learned with other people. And believe me, even if you don't have a piece of paper, you're going to want to have a pen in your hand so you can circle and note some things in your Bible, things you've never seen before, things that you will never, ever forget in this astounding prophecy about Jesus. Three things in this prophecy. The need for the King of Kings. The nature of the king of kings and the name of this king of kings. The need for this king of kings, the nature of this king of kings, and the name of this king of kings. The first thing we see in this astounding prophecy about Jesus is the need for this king of kings. So many people, no doubt, have heard of Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. They've heard of the prophecy part, but they've never seen it in its context. They don't really understand the backdrop to it, which makes the prophecy even more brilliant in its brightness. Because in verses 1 through 5, you see, describe the need for this king to come. And as you read verses 1 through 5 over and over and over and over again, what you're going to see is three things jump out. Oh, they're so clear. Why was this king of kings needed? You're going to see. Because people are in darkness and they need light. Why this king of kings? Because people are broken hearted and they need healing and they need joy. And because people are bound and they're captive and they need to be delivered and they need to be set free. Why the need for this king to come? Well, first, because people are in darkness and they need light. Look at it again in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. All throughout the Old Testament, the people were in darkness. Before the time of Christ and at the time of Christ, the people were in darkness. But the king, oh, the king of all kings was going to come and he was going to bring light into the middle of the 
darkness in John chapter 1, John said of Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In John 8 and verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So amazing in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, when Jesus went into Galilee of the Gentiles, verse 1, Matthew writes, it was to fulfill what you're reading right here, that Jesus was the light coming to those who were in Darkness, oh, so interesting. The land of Zebedee and Natali is Galilee, which is the northern part of the land of Israel. And when the Assyrians and later the Babylonians was come to take the people captive, they would come down from the north. So amazing, the people who experienced the darkness first got to experience the light first. But this king was not only going to come to bring light to those in darkness, he was going to bring joy to those who were broken hearted. Notice verse 3. And you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice in dividing the spoil. In the days of the Old Testament people were so broken hearted over their kings. So broken hearted over their leaders. So broken hearted over their nation. And when Jesus came, he came to heal not only broken bodies, he came to heal the brokenhearted and to give them great joy. In the middle of the night, an angel came to the shepherds and says, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is for all the people. Oh, I love Christmas time. I love to sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Why? Because those who are discouraged and depressed and downcast, listen, Jesus has come to bring joy to them. But not only light to those in darkness and joy to those who are brokenhearted, but freedom to those who are bound and in captivity. This is verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, For you have broken the yoke of his burden. A yoke was what that wooden thing they would put on cattle. A farmer or a cattleman would take take an animal and put it in, lock them in that to do all the work. And that's what the enemies of Israel would do. That's what the oppressors would do. They would come and they would enslave the people to do all of the work. And they would beat them with a rod to get them to do all of the work. But Messiah was going to come and set him free. So Jesus, one day, he walks into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And he says in Luke 4, in verse 16, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those who are captive. All the need for this king to come. And Jesus was that king. But dear ones, oh dear ones, As they needed the king in their day, so we need the king in our day. Listen, if there ever was a time in my whole life where I've seen such darkness in our country, wicked, unspeakable things being done in the wide open and parading, the most 
horrible kinds of evil. Oh, listen, darkness, such darkness in our country. Oh, how we need the light of Jesus. And if there ever was a time in my life where I've seen so many broken-hearted people, so many discouraged, depressed people going to counselors and they're, they're on tranquilizers and drugs and all those kinds of things. And suicide is epidemic among people because they're so broken-hearted. Oh, if there ever was a time we needed the healer of broken hearts, it's today. And if there ever was a time when people were captive and needed to be set free, it's in our day. People are bound by alcohol. They're bound by drugs. They're bound by pornography. They're bound by so many things. And they need the King of Kings to come and set them free. Oh, you don't understand this astounding prophecy of Jesus unless you understand the need for this King of Kings. But then secondly... The nature of this king of kings. Who is the one who's going to bring light into the darkness? Who is the one who's going to bring joy in the middle of sadness? Who is the one who is going to set the captives free? Well, the first part of verse 6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, unto us a Son is given. Right now, if you have a pen or a pencil, circle the word child. Circle the word son. And you are careful students of the Bible here at Calvary Chapel Elmani. So you see that child is capital C, child. And son is capital S, son. Unto us a child is born and a son is given. What is the nature of this king? Well, the word child refers to his human nature. The word son refers to his divine nature. One person with two natures. Jesus wasn't half man, half God. He was fully man and fully God. Let me talk about that for a moment. Who is the one bringing light into the darkness, joy into brokenheartedness, and Setting the captives free, it's the one that's a capital C child that is born. In other words, he's fully human. Fully human. The book of Hebrews tells us that we do not have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tested in all points like you and me. Jesus came to this earth having to have his diaper changed. Jesus came to this earth having to eat food and having to sleep and having to go through all of the things that you and I go through because, listen, this king can identify with us. He can feel our pain. He knows our sorrow and everything that we're going through. But this child that's born, he's no Ordinary child, that's why the word child is capital C, child. Because this child wasn't born in an ordinary way. This child was conceived of and born through the Virgin Mary. 
just on the page before in Isaiah, Isaiah said, how are you going to know when the king comes? That one you're longing and looking for? How are you going to know? Well, here's a sign. In Isaiah 7, 14, here's this sign. Behold, the virgin, not a virgin, not some virgin, the virgin will conceive. And bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. No ordinary child. Someone asks a good question. Someone asks the question that Mary, the mother of Jesus, asked. And that is when the angel came and said, you know, you're going to bear a child. She asked, how? How can this be when I know not a man? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you and this holy thing born in you will be called the Son, capital S, Son of God. And that brings me to the second title. The Son of, this child is born, this Son is given. The word Son means has the same nature as. We have two sons. Newsflash. They're both human. (laughs) They're both men. I'm a man. They're my sons. They're men. That Jesus is the Son means He is God of very God. And the religious leaders in the days of Jesus, they knew that because when... When he was called the son of... They wanted to kill him. Because they knew exactly what he was doing. Oh, oh, oh. Who's going to bring light into the darkness? Who's going to bring joy to the brokenhearted? Who's going to set the captives free? What's his nature like? He's going to be fully human and fully divine. And this fully human, fully divine king... Notice, notice in verse 6... The government will be upon his Shoulder, shoulder, the government, yes, he's going to be a king. Notice it doesn't say a government or some government or many governments. That little phrase, the government, means all the governments. And it would be upon his shoulder. I want to talk more about that. So beautiful. In the Old Testament, when the high priest was outfitted as a part of his ephod, he had the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders. Six stones on one shoulder, six stones on another shoulder, because it was a picture of the whole, the weight of the people being upon the leader, being upon his shoulders. And listen, he bore the weight of that one nation upon his shoulders. Oh, oh but the Bible says here, the government will be on his shoulder. When I was growing up, I played basketball when I was in high school. I loved to play basketball. But what I didn't love is going to the weight room. A coach made us go and lift weights. And when we 
lifted weights, often we would have to do squats so our legs would be strong enough to jump higher and so on. And you, you know, take this big old long barbell and you pile all these weights on either side of it and a couple of your friends, you know, they lift it off the rack and they put it on your shoulders because <laughs> it weighs so much. <laughs> it weighs so much that there's no way you could put it on one shoulder. But, you know, they had these other little things called dumbbells. <laughs> and I like them because they're really light. You know, you could just lift them up with one hand. And the lighter, the better for me. And the weight? The weight of the government. Not one nation. But all of the nations throughout human history for all of time. Listen, they're on one shoulder. They're on one shoulder of this king of kings. Oh, there's no king like this king. There's no king so amazing as this king. We've seen the need for this king. We've seen the nature of this king. And now look thirdly at the name of this king. And the last part of verse 6, and the and his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Whenever it comes to this passage, Bible teachers, pastors, leaders, they often talk about, you know, the, the meaning of this passage. And they ask the question, and maybe you've asked the question before, are there five names here or are there four names here? Are there five names? Wonderful, number one. Counselor, number two. Mighty God, number three. Everlasting Father, number four. Prince of Peace. Are there five names? Or are there four names? Is it Wonderful Counselor, number one. Mighty God, number two. Everlasting Father, number three. Prince of Peace, number four. Pastor Larry, someone asks, are there five names or four names? Answer, there's one name. You see it? It doesn't say, and his names will be called. It says, oh, it says, his name is. His name is. Now you have to understand the importance of listing all of these things after that phrase, his name is is if you're a careful student of the bible when you read the old testament you know that there are many names of god and often it's just one name that's given of god like the name god is elohim like the name for lord or master is adonai like the name for i am or lord is jehovah or yahweh so often you have just a single name of god but God is so incredible that often when you go through the Old Testament, you find compound names of God. You take not one name, but two names. So you don't just have El, which means God. You have El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. You don't just have El. You have El Olam, which means the God of eternity. You don't just have El. You have El Elyon, which means the Most High God. You, you double up on the name. 
And the name Jehovah. Sometimes you just have Jehovah. But then you have Jehovah Jireh. The Lord my provider. Then you have Jehovah Rapha. Which means the Lord my healer. Then you have Jehovah Nisi. Which means the Lord my banner. You have Jehovah Shalom. Which means the Lord is my peace. And how awesome. You don't just have one name of God. You have two. Here you have five. Five. Wow. Isaiah 700 years before the time of Christ. He just starts piling up the names of God. Someone asks, Pastor Larry, are there five or are there four? I think there are five. Like the ancient rabbi said, five for five fingers on your hand. So you don't forget. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's everlasting father. He's prince of peace. Five aspects of the one name of this king. Five titles of the one name of this king. Isaiah says his name, his name is Wonderful, Pele in Hebrew, which means magnificent, marvelous, matchless, incomparable, glorious, bright, brilliant, awesome, incredible is his name. You remember the parents of Samson when God and the angel of the Lord appeared to them and told them the exploits their son was going to do. And, and Manoah, the father of Samson, asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name? In Judges 13, verse 18, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? My name? My name is wonderful? Is there anyone more wonderful than Jesus. No, Adrian Rogers wrote, everything about Jesus is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death is wonderful. His resurrection is wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. His praying for you and me is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. His name is wonderful because he is wonderful. The story is told of an old preacher. He was riding on a train one day and they were heading through the scenic countryside and across from him on one of the other chairs there was an older man sitting there and, and the old preacher, he just happened to notice him that he was looking out the window and he could see that there were tears coming down his face and the man would just say, oh, wonderful, wonderful. And he would wipe the tears from his eyes and then a moment later, the tears would come again and he would say, wonderful, so wonderful. And he would wipe the tears off and then they would come again and he would say, oh, wonderful, so wonderful. And the old preacher was curious and so he got up, he went across the aisle. He sat down next to the man and he said, uh, you know, I'm just so curious. He said, you keep saying wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. He said, have you never seen this countryside? Have you never been on this train before? And the man said, no, no, no. He said, you don't understand. He said, I had lost my sight. I had lost my vision. And recently they did 
a surgery on my eyes and now I can see again. And as I look out the window, I look at the blue sky and I say, wonderful. I look at the green grass and I say, wonderful. I look at the tall trees and I say, wonderful. I look at the bright flowers and I say, wonderful. The old pastor crossed the aisle, sat down in his seat and looked up toward heaven and said, wonderful. Wonderful. There's no one more wonderful than Jesus, but he is not only wonderful, he is counselor. A counselor was one that possessed superior wisdom than someone else and would give them advice. The word translated counselor here was used first of Jethro who gave counsel to Moses. And a counselor would do that. The kings would often call their counselors in and get advice and get wisdom from them so they would know the decisions they were making were the right decisions. And the king of kings who was going to come, listen, wasn't just wonderful. He was capital C, counselor. See, Jesus is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows what's actual. He knows what's possible. He knows what you think. He knows what you feel. He knows what you're going through. He is the counselor above all counselors. And in case you haven't noticed, we live in a day of counselor crazy. They're all over the place. You got more psychologists and more psychiatrists and people on tranquilizers and They're getting counseling for this and therapy for that and all of that. I'm here to tell you today, there's a counselor that's so incredible that he knows all things. And in him, Colossians 2 and verse 3 says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you don't know what to do or where to go, I know somebody who does. His name is Jesus. And he's so wonderful. And he's the counselor, but, but not only is he wonderful and the counselor, he is mighty God. Now, this is an interesting title. This is an interesting title for this king because earlier in the Old Testament, there was a title for God, El Shaddai, Almighty God. This is not the same title. This is El Gibor. And the word mighty here means a warrior. It means a champion. It means a hero. It means a victor. He's not only wonderful, he's not only counselor, he's a powerful warrior. Lots of people long for a king who would come and defend them and lead them into victory. And Isaiah 700 years before the time of Christ says, somebody's coming and he is the warrior, the most powerful warrior you can ever imagine. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were confronted by the devil and they failed They failed, but then Jesus came and went into the wilderness and was confronted by the devil. Listen, and he defeated the devil. And not only that, when he died on the cross, the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and he would rise again from the dead and put even death under his feet. No warrior like the warrior Jesus. Have you discovered 
He's your defender. Have you discovered that victory isn't up to you? It's up to Him. I remember when I was a young boy growing up in church and going to Sunday school classes and one day I remember the teacher was giving a lesson on David and Goliath. You know the story. You've heard it so many times and the teacher was teaching all of us children, you know, you got to be brave. You, you got to be strong. You know, you got to be courageous. Be like David, David, David. You know, you got to stand up to the giants in your life and no doubt you've heard all that before and I'm, I'm just sitting there as a little little boy thinking, I'm not so brave. <laughs> I'm not so courageous. I'm not so strong. I guess God's not happy with me because I'm not like David. And I remember that still small voice whispering to me, you're not David, Jesus is. Don't know about you, I'm just one of the soldiers hiding. <laughs> Get him, Jesus! <laughs> Jesus is the son of David. He's the powerful warrior. He will rise up and defend you from whatever enemy is coming against you. Oh, oh! but he's not only wonderful and counselor and mighty God. Or he's everlasting father. Somebody says, oh, Pastor Larry, would you please explain that? I'm really confused by that one. How can he be the son of God and the everlasting father? That doesn't seem to make sense. Is this saying Jesus is God the Father? No, 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 no. That's not what this is saying. The Bible teaches a doctrine we call the Trinity. One God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Just before this it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. What does it mean he's the everlasting Father? Well, the Hebrew is better translated. He's the Father of eternity to father something to father a child means that you're before that child you created that child and you're over that child and the king of kings when he came listen he's before all things he creates all things and he's over all things in other words he's eternal he has no beginning and no end that's why Micah 5 and verse 2 he's going to be born in Bethlehem whose goings forth are from old even from ancient times one of the Jewish targums, one of the Jewish paraphrases of Isaiah 9 just translates it this way. When the Messiah comes, he will live forever. He will live forever. And I'm so glad about that. I'm so glad that Jesus is the eternal one. Because in the day and age in which we live, I don't know what the future holds. But I do know who holds the future. I don't know what the future holds for our country or my life or your life. I don't know. But I know who holds the future. And here's the thing. Jesus knows the future as well as you know the past. 
because he knows the very end from the beginning. Oh, this king is not going to be like any other earthly king. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be counselor. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to be everlasting father. And he's going to be the prince of peace. Sar Shalom in Hebrew. He's going to be the prince who brings peace. Oh, if there's ever anything the people of God were longing for, it was peace, peace, peace. But they were looking for an earthly peace. They were looking for a political peace. They just wanted peace from their earthly enemies. They just wanted peace from the Romans. And they didn't understand there's a much greater peace. And that is spiritual peace. Spiritual peace. And Jesus was going to come to bring that peace because he was the Prince of Peace. In Romans 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Such peace, such peace, and not only peace with God, but the peace of God. So many people anxious. So many people worried. So many people concerned. Just come to the Prince of Peace. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world, because in the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have peace overcome the world. Oh, Pastor Larry, is it five names or is it four names? It's one. One name. And his name shall be called one of our counselors, everybody got everlasting father, prince of peace. Wow! Stacking them all up. His name? What's his name? Jesus. Jesus, the angel, said to Joseph in Matthew 1 and verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's why verse 7 says this, of the increase of his government and his peace, There will be no end. Earthly kings come and go. Earthly emperors come and go. Earthly presidents come and go. But there is a king. A king of all kings. And when he comes, Isaiah says, he's going to usher in a kingdom. And that kingdom is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and never diminish because he's never going to die over seven of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. Oh, what a profound prophecy. 
What an astounding prophecy. A prophecy about Jesus. The need for this king. People are in darkness and they need light. People are brokenhearted and they need joy. People are captive and they need to be set free. And the nature of this king, fully human and fully divine, a child, a son, and the name, the name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the name above all names, the name of Jesus, the hymn writer wrote. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. It's the sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me.